We'll be in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start uh, in verse 18 today. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, this is what it says. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone to Jesus, uh, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To them, what shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for your word. Um, Father, I just pray that today that, that it would reveal to us and show us our deep need of you. Um, very much like we talked about last week, that the gospel only comes to those of us who understand that there is no other way. Uh, to those of us who understand that, that the real evil and the real problem is not in the world around us, but the real problem is in our hearts. It's inside of each and every one of us. And so today I pray uh, that as we kind of close out 2019 and as we, we move towards 2020, um, that, Father, we would enter that year not, not trying to, to look at everybody else and say they're the problem, but instead see that we're the problem and that we need your grace and your mercy and that we would be more reliant on the gospel this year than we ever have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I thought for the next couple of weeks after... Christmas sermon that we would just stick in the book of Luke for a little bit. Uh, if you know anything about Luke, uh, one commentator said that, that you could really sum up the message of Luke by saying that Luke is for losers. Uh, and, and it really is, because throughout the whole book, the thing that, that, that Luke wants to emphasize and that he presses on is that it's only those who are losers. It's only those who know there is no other way to be saved that really get, understand, and receive the gospel message. And so last week we talked about how the gospel message first and foremost was announced and it came to losers, it came to shepherds, it came to people that nobody in a million years would have thought to announce the message of the, of the Savior to. And how we need to understand that we're no better than the shepherds, that we are shepherds, that, that Jesus came to save people like us. And in Luke chapter 7, we, we see the same thing taking place, all right? 
Now, let me just give you a little review real quick so, so to let you know where, where, where we're at. Um, if, you, if you have any church background at all, you remember that the book of Luke opens up by an angel showing up to an older man and his wife who have been unable to have kids. An angel shows up to the dad and says, listen, you're going to have a son. All right, I know you're old. I know you don't think it can happen, but it can. It will. It's happened before. Remember, Abraham, you'll have a baby. And when he's born, you're going to name him John. And so this baby is born. He grows up. He begins his ministry. And if you've read enough about the John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, right? He really wasn't a Baptist. He was just a baptizer, but, but we'll take it. Um, he was a little bit of an eccentric guy. Right? Like every town has that guy or that girl. Well, he was that guy, okay? He lived out in the desert all by himself. He wore camel hair, which was not like barely fashionable clothing. Um, it was really itchy. It was really scratchy. Uh, he ate bugs and honey. That was his, his, his diet. And, and he lived out all by himself. And he begins preaching and telling people to repent because Jesus is on the way. And when Jesus shows up, he's going to bring the kingdom of God with him. Well, then Jesus does show up. He comes down to be baptized by John. And John's like, whoa, whoa, man. Hey, hey, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. But Jesus says, no, you have to. This is the way it has to be. John baptizes Jesus. You remember the story. Jesus comes up out of the water, right? The skies part. Voice booms. Dove comes down and says, hey, this is my son. I am pleased with him. I love him. Listen to what he has to say. And then right after that, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? Now, here's where it gets interesting. While Jesus is gone for 40 days and 40 nights, this is where our boy John gets himself in just a little bit of trouble. So there's a man named Herod. If you remember, Rome is in charge of the world at that time. It's a very uh, uh, brutal empire, a, 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 a violent regime. And Herod is the governor in Jerusalem. So he's taking care of everything for a boy Caesar down south. And Herod has a problem. Herod is in love with his brother Philip's wife. Okay? Right? It's a little weird, right? Her name is Herodias, which is even weirder. And Herod and Herodias have been running around behind Philip's back. They've been seeing one another. Well, Herod has just decided that he's done creeping around, right? And he is going to just go ahead and take her for, for himself. And so he says, hey, Philip, listen, it's over. She's mine. And he takes Herodias, and they become husband and wife. Well, John decides, hey, I can't let this slide, all right? Which I love that, right? I, think, I wish we had more people with that courage to say, hey, our political leaders, I know you love them, but they're really bad people. And so he decides to follow Herod around for a long time. And he begins to say, hey, listen, Herod, it's not right that you're sleeping with your brother's wife. Yeah, it's not cool. And he just keeps doing this. And he won't stop doing it to the point that finally Herodias is like, listen, honey, uh, I can't handle this anymore. Either you do something about this or I'm gone. Right? I don't know if that's what happened, but I'm sure that's what happened. Right? She, she, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what she said. And so Herod was like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And so Herod has John arrested. And he's put in prison. And so as chapter 7 opens up, John is in prison and what's going on is John is struggling with some doubts while he's in prison. And to me, that's crazy that, that here we have John the baptizer in prison struggling with doubt. I mean, remember, his parents were old as dirt, and yet they somehow conceived him, and he was born when they were close to 100 years old. He saw Jesus baptized. He saw Jesus come out of the water, sky part, dove land, voice boom. He had enough faith to attack Herod 
And yet here he is in prison, and he's struggling with doubts. Here he is going, man, I don't know if this really was the Messiah. Maybe I did something wrong. I feel like I've done everything right. So if I've done everything right, why am I in jail? Like, like why is everything going bad for me if this guy really is who he said he was? And so in verse 18, John gets some of his disciples, and he sends them to talk to Jesus. So the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So, so they're telling John everything that's going on, like all that Jesus is doing, how he's healing people, uh, all about Jesus' ministry. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And verse 23 says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So some of John's disciples, they go to Jesus, they tell him, hey, these are all, or tells John all the things that Jesus is doing. John sends them back, and he says, ask Jesus if, if he's the Messiah. Is he really the one that we've been waiting all these years for? And so John starts thinking, okay, is, is this the Messiah? Because again, if he's the Messiah, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, so why am I in, in the dungeon? Why am I in prison? And seriously, you can't blame John for wondering. We've all been there before. Hey, I'm following Jesus, trying to live right, I'm trying to do all the right things, but nothing seems to be going right. So, so is he really the one that, that was to come? Is this, this whole Christianity thing true? And what I love about it is when they come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't go, tell John he's a moron. He doesn't do that. Je- Jesus is so kind and he's so patient. And that's what I love about Jesus is that we can bring our doubts to Jesus. That Jesus is big enough to handle all of our doubts, all of our struggles, all of our difficulties, and he will answer our doubts. He is always patient with doubters. He never leaves doubters in their doubts, okay? He doesn't do that to us. And so what Jesus does is he just starts healing people. And he heals people with plagues and diseases and evil spirits. He opens the eyes of the blind. And then he says, tell John all these things. Tell them that the blind receive sight, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised, and that the poor have good news preached to them. And see, what Jesus is doing is he's quoting scripture. There's all these verses in Isaiah chapter 29, chapter 35, chapter 42, that Isaiah is prophesying and he's announcing what it will look like when the Messiah shows up, right? That that the blind will see, that the deaf will hear, that the lame will walk. And John would have known these verses. And so as his disciples come back and they begin to tell him all these things, right? That the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised you got to be thinking that John's going, oh man, I know these verses. I know what's happening. And John's mind would have immediately went to Isaiah 42, 7. And it says, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. But did you notice what Jesus did right there? Jesus left that part off. So Jesus says, yes, John, I am the one and you're going to die in prison. That's why verse 23, Jesus says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, blessed is the person who does not fall away from following me 
because of their disappointment in the way that I choose to work. Now, I don't know about you, but, but 2019 for, for my family has been terrible. Uh, I've said this a lot up here. I'll say it again. I, I'm done. I'm ready for it to be over. I, I, don't, I can't think of a, a more difficult year for, for me emotionally, mentally, uh, for my marriage, uh, spiritually. I mean, just I could run the gambit on you on how horrible it's been. And as I've been studying this week, I've been thinking, okay, I want 2020 to be better. <laughs> Please, Lord, let it be better. I think all of us think that. Let's, let's make it a little better. But, but what if God decides to say, well, it's not going to be? What if God said, hey, what's best for you and what's really, uh, what I really need to do in your life is really to let 2020 be worse than 2019? Are you going to be offended by the way that I choose to work, Byron, or are you going to continue to follow me? And, and I think that's a question we all have to answer as we, we go into 2020 is, hey, what, what if this year is the year that God says, hey, we're, we're, you're not going to make any money in what you do this year? I mean, that's your God anyway, so we're going to take that away. And so, so if you don't make any money, are you going to be offended or are you going to continue to follow me? What if 2020 is the year that I decide that, hey, I'm going to allow a li- an illness to enter into your family? Are you going to be offended or are you going to continue to follow me? What if it's the year that you lose your job? Are you going to be offended or are you going to continue to follow me? I mean, what if it's the year that, that, that you allow one of your kids to get sick? Are you going to be offended or are you going to continue to follow him? What if it's the year that there's something happens in school? Students, whether academically or, or athletically, where you can't play or you can't compete or you can't do anything, are you going to be offended? Or are you going to continue to follow him? See, the Bible's always going to blast the prosperity gospel. See, following Jesus does not mean that life will go easy and you'll never have problems. It means that God will sometimes allow difficulty in your life. And he will do that so that he can strip away all things that we look to other than him for salvation. Because he knows a lot of times those things that he takes away are good things, but we've made them God things, amen? And he knows that I can't work if you're holding on to that. I read a post on Twitter last night, and I thought I'd share it with you today. It was a pastor named Ray Ortland, and he's talking to preachers, but, but I really think what he's saying applies to all of us, and what he says is this. He's talking about following Jesus or being a pastor, but he said, here's what he says. He says, at some point in your life, God will injure you so extremely that the self-reliance you aren't even aware of, the self-reliance with which you've been navigating so consistently by, that it feels natural and innocent, will collapse under the loss in anguish. And you will start realizing, oh, so this is what it means to trust the Lord. I need him now with an urgency, a desperation, a seriousness of purpose deeper than ever before. And that's Jesus' answer to John. Is that, John, I am the one. You don't have to doubt that anymore, but you will die in prison. Don't be offended by the way I choose to work. And as soon as John's disciples leave, look what Jesus says about John in verse 24. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Jesus is like, man, so many of you went out in the wilderness to hear John preach and teach. Did you go to see some trembling weakling of a man? No. Did you go to see some rich boy dressed in nice clothes? No. You went out to see a prophet, a great man of God. This was the one who the prophet Malachi told you about. And Jesus quotes Malachi 3.1. says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus is reminding them that John was sent by God to tell you that I'm the promised one, that I am God, and so since I'm here, now things have changed. Things are different. So no longer do people have to perform to be accepted by God. I'm performing for them. I'm going to be perfect so that all who put their trust in me can have their sins forgiven and they can be made right with God the Father. That's why he says that those among, born among women that none is greater than John, but then he says, yet those who are the least in the kingdom of God, those are the people who are actually greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that's incredible praise coming from Jesus. So what he means is that those of us who have a relationship with God because of Jesus, that's a greater relationship than that of the Old Testament prophets because it's not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. So it means that when we sin, and you do, and you will in 2020, it doesn't separate us from God, that he welcomes us and he loves us because his love for us is based on what Jesus did, not on what we do. That's the gospel message, that Jesus did what you were incapable of doing, that Jesus died to save losers like you and losers like me. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to these people is that, listen, those of you who have trusted in what I'm doing, you're greater than John. Rejoice in that and be thankful for the relationship that you have. And now look at the response to it because here's the part we've got to look at. Look at verse 29. It says, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So in other words, when all the common people, the outcasts, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those who, who were losers by that society standards, when they heard what Jesus said, it says that they declared God just. In other words, they said God is good and right and he is fair. But on the other hand, all the religious people, the holy people, they went, oh, well, yeah, Psh, duh, that applies to those people. No wonder they're agreeing with it. They're the ones that need Jesus. Yeah, right, not us. And, and they thought in their minds, well, see, we, we, we hadn't been baptized by John because, well, we didn't need to be baptized by John because we're okay, right? Flip, flip back just a couple pages to, to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. This is John baptizing, and this is what he says to those people. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
and it's thrown into the fire. See, John was telling those religious people, those holy people, he's saying, listen, you're sinful too. You need forgiveness. You need to repent and turn away from what you're doing and turn towards the Lord and live for him. See, John says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What that means is, is when you see his grace and goodness, when you realize that God in extravagant love chose to love somebody like you, your only response is to turn away from your old way of life and to turn towards a new way of life and live for Jesus to bear fruit to show that you've been saved. And and that's the problem with our part of the world, is it not? Is that so many of us think we are saved, so many of us think that we know Jesus because we've said the right words, right? We we know all about, yeah, yeah, I trust in Jesus, I walked out, all that. But yet there's no fruit in our life to back up the fact that we're Christians. You haven't grown in your faith. You haven't changed You're still the same person you were 15 years ago in terms of your walk with the Lord because there's no fruit in your life. See, the outcasts knew they were sinful. They saw the grace of God. They repented from their old way of life and they turned away from their sins while the religious people said, boy, those people really need to do something about the way they're living their life, right? I mean, if they were just more like us, good middle-class people, we'd be a lot better off. See, they thought they were so good that when it was all said and done, that they would stand in front of God and go, hey, look how good I was. I mean, look at my church attendance. Look how often I read the Bible, how much I prayed. Aren't I special? I mean, you were lucky that I lived for you. You're lucky that that, that you had me on your team. And see, the others knew that it wasn't enough. They knew that no matter how hard they tried, they weren't good enough, and they needed the grace and the mercy of God. And see, I'm afraid we do that in our little corner of the world, don't we? And that's why I try to push on this so often, because I think sometimes we go, well, I've gone to this church my whole life, or I've gone to a church my whole life, right? Or, or when there wasn't something better going on, I came to church. But I, I came to church my whole life. I'm a good person, right? I take my, my family to church. I, I'm a good person. I vote for the right people, Right? And I know that bothers some of you, but i got to keep pushing on that. I don't care who you vote for. It doesn't save you. I don't care if you've got the right party on the back of your pickup or you wear a red hat. It doesn't save you. And we have this thing where we go, I mean, yeah, sure, I I do some things I shouldn't, but I'm not as bad as that person. right? My neighbor, they are a horrible person. And again, I think in our corner of the world, that's why we always like to make jokes like, well, I ain't like that Pelosi. Woo! Woo! Right? That's why it's such easy fodder just to pick on Democrats because they're bad. I'm good. And so therefore, I'm good. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And what happens is we become dull to our need for forgiveness. We forget that Jesus came to save people like you and like me. And that the greatest problem in this world, it's not outside of us, guys. It's in our own hearts. Mortimer Adler, who hesitated becoming a Christian for a very long time, he said this after he was saved. Listen to this quote. He says, there's a great gulf between mind and heart. I was on the edge of becoming a Christian several times, but didn't do it. I said that if one is born a Christian, one can be lighthearted about living up to Christianity. But listen to this. 
But if one converts by a clear, conscious act of will, one had better be prepared to live a truly Christian life. So you ask yourself, are you prepared to give up all the vices and weaknesses of flesh? See, what he's saying is that a lot of times, those of us who've been Christians for a long period of time, we forget that we are in desperate need of forgiveness and, and grace. That's why it's so amazing when you see somebody that comes to faith in Jesus Christ later in life, and maybe somebody that's lived a little bit of a rebellious life. You ever seen that person? And when Jesus gets a hold of them, it's like they know how sinful they are. They get it. And so for them, turning away from all of those things and all, those, all that evil that they used to do and turning towards Jesus is so easy and so natural because they understand their need for mercy and grace. It's those of us, and I'm one of them, good church kids, that we sometimes become so dull to the fact that we need Jesus just as much as everybody else. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 says this, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's not somebody that's not in this room. That's every one of us in this room. Heart, words, deeds. The conclusion, we're all sinful. And there is no fear of God before our eyes. And it's only those who realize their need are saved. See, that's why the outcasts got it. That's why they understood it. And that's why Jesus ends by telling a little story in verse 31. He says to them, what shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. So, so what he does is he quotes a popular little saying that children used to shout to one another uh, when, when they wouldn't join in in games, right? So when one group's over here playing and somebody doesn't want to play, you know how kids do on the playground, and, nee, 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 and that's what they're doing. They're, they're shouting at one another. And so Jesus quotes that, and he's putting it into the mouths of the religious people. So he's saying, listen, you didn't want to listen to the stern prophet John. They said, well, he's just way too extreme, right? Crazy guy, camel hair, eating bugs, right? He had like a grasshopper leg in his teeth the other day when he was trying to tell me to repent. It was gross. He's too extreme. He's no fun because he won't drink or act like us. So something's wrong with that guy. He's got to have a demon. But then Jesus shows up, and Jesus is hanging with all the sinful people. He's going to the parties, hanging out with the tax collectors and all the sinners. He's drinking, and they're saying, well, he's just a drunk and a glutton, so why should we listen to him? And listen, is this attitude not still around when it, when it comes to people? Pfft, I'm a pastor. I hear it all the time, right? Man, that guy, he takes the Bible too seriously. Oh, my gosh, some of the stuff he says, good gracious. I can't believe he preached on that. I can't believe he would say something like that. He's a little too serious about the Scriptures. Then the other, things, the, the, other, the other end of the spectrum is just as true, right? Well, I can't believe he dresses like that in the pulpit. Making those jokes like he does. He's a little too loosey-goosey up there, right? Well, I don't want to listen to him. And it goes back and forth, right? And all it is is an excuse for people to say, I don't want to hear what God has to say. That's it. 
But what grace when you realize that you need Jesus? Well, I mean, what grace when you realize you're not good enough and can only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? That's what Jesus means at the end when he says wisdom is justified by her children. Meaning those of us in this room get what Jesus is saying because we know that Jesus is the only reason that we are saved. See, here's the thing that blows my mind. Like if you knew me, like, and I mean really knew me, okay, you know what a joke it is that I'm standing up here. You can laugh, it's okay. I'm impatient. I'm obnoxious, I'm insecure, I'm quick-tempered, I can't shut up. I'm just a flat-running jerk most days, ask my wife. But somehow, someway, God in His grace, before time began, decided to set His love on me and save me. And listen, the older I get, the more I walk with Him, the more I realize what a stinking joke it is that Jesus would save somebody like me. See, I realize more and more how I can never on my own save myself, right? Christmas, just go Christmas Day and just think about your attitude on Christmas Day, some of us, right? We want it to be a perfect day, and some of us, probably maybe more of us dads than the moms, were impatient. Like, sit down! And you realize just what a jerk you can be even on those days. And you can understand your need of grace. So, we're about to say goodbye to 2019. We're going into 2020. Here's my, my challenge. Would you recognize your need of grace? Not just today, but every day of the year. Would you wake up every day and realize, but for the grace of God. As Joe said so wonderfully earlier, to understand that the breath you take every moment of every day is a gift given to you by God, and it's not one that you deserve, but God in his love and his mercy has given it to you. And for those of you in here who would say you're Christians, let me ask you, has there been a change? Has grace changed your heart and life? Or listen, are you the same person that you have been for a long time? Now, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. The Bible never says you can lose your salvation. But the Bible always asks one question. Did you ever have it to begin with? And if there is no fruit, maybe you and the Lord need to do some talking today. And then finally, for those of you in this room who you would say 2019 has been bad and, and maybe 2020 is not looking so great either. Would you trust him? Would you love him enough to take your doubts to him, to know that he is patient and kind and loving with doubters, that he'll never turn us away, he'll never tell us we're stupid. Instead, he'll answer our doubts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for all that you've given us. Father, I just pray that as we close out this year that we as a church would trust you more and more and more that we would realize that it's only by grace that we're saved. That each and every one of us would wake up every day and realize what a joke it is that you would choose to save somebody like us. That we would realize that the greatest problem with the world is not outside of ourselves, but inside of ourselves. And we would choose to rest in you and your gospel. 
And Father, when we do that, I think it would change everything for us because then we wouldn't live our lives so much trying to point the finger at everybody else, but then we would look at ourselves and we'd realize how gracious and patient and kind you are to us, and that would change our hearts, and then that would just flow out to everyone around us. Father, for those who are struggling with some doubts today, I pray that you would meet them in their doubts, that you would answer their doubts. And then, Father, for, for those that, that are struggling, maybe, or, or maybe they're just hesitant to give their lives to you. Father, I, I pray that today that you have saved, that you've opened hearts, that you've changed lives. Help us to see that, that sometimes, Father, the only way that you can bring us to you is to bring us to the end of ourselves. And sometimes that's not a pretty thing. But I pray if that's what it takes that you would do so. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.